You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, my name is Tanya Pinkins, and I'm the host of the podcast You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. This fall, I have a special treat for you. In honor of my debut feature film, Red Pill, Marissa Lynn Daniels Studio has been hosting weekly conversations with my fellow Broadway colleagues and co-host Sierra Renee about the red pilling of America. These conversations create a safe space for us to talk about the things that are on our mind with an election and a global pandemic So join us for The Red Pilling of America, a spotlight series, every Saturday at 5 p.m. Or on the Broadway Podcast Network, you can't say that, bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Join the conversation. Hello, Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's here. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> it, it just happens with the names, you know. <laughs> uh, well, hello, everyone. Are we good, Marissa? Uh, we're just waiting for... Two more to clear in, but I hit admit all. So we should we should be okay. joining in shortly. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I just want to say thank you all to everyone who's here. We're very grateful for you guys for joining us on this next. Oh, here we go. We got some new people coming in. Um, conversation. We're here to talk about Tanya Pinkins' new sociopolitical horror film, <laughs> which uh, she's mentioned several times now, you know, when she first wrote it. People would read it and go, oh, this sounds crazy. And now it sounds just like reality. So here we are in 2020 in a very strange time. Um, So Tanya Pinkins, as you may or may not know, is the winner of all of the awards, (laughs) including uh, Tony, a drama desk, Clarence Derwin, OB Monarch, Lucille Lortel, LA Drama Critics Circle, Audience Choice Award, and so many more nominations. She's got... Uh, she's an outspoken activist. She's writing and creating and producing and currently editing this film. Um, she's got a podcast, You Can't Say That, on the Broadway Podcast Network. She's, she's just, she does all the things. Um, so if you don't know, you ought to know. Now you know. <laughs> now you know, okay? 
Um, and we're so grateful to have her here and your wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya, for all that you do. Um, and then of course this week we have the amazing Tele Leung and John Rua. So Tele Leung is a TV and stage actor. You may know him from Glee, Instinct, Law and Order, Godspell, Aladdin, In Transit, Wicked, Rent, Allegiance. And now he's even producing um, a new Christmas musical, which we'll talk to him about in a second. Um, and then we've also got John Rua um, from Hamilton in the Heights, Hands on a Hard Body, SpongeBob SquarePants. Have you guys heard of Hamilton? Did you like Hamilton? No, I'm just kidding. Um, He's also an incredible, incredible like just dancer, choreographer. Um, he actually choreographed a show that I did at the Muni, Jesus Christ Superstar, as well as Aida. And um, he just recently uh, choreographed for Fish at the Garden. Whoa, huge stuff. And also uh, West Side Story at Milwaukee Rep. And now he's actually been commissioned by Milwaukee Rep to create his own show. So we've got multi, multi-talented artists and um, just an interesting panel of people here. We're very diverse and I love it, which is also a big uh, point about Tanya's film. Tanya, you're always talking about that you want to... But we, we yes. have to, I have to introduce Sierra Renee. Oh, so... <laughs> Hosting the spotlights um, every week, these wonderful mm -hmm. conversations. Um, Sierra is a, an incredible singer. She's also a filmmaker. Um, she was most recently on Broadway in Frozen. I, I'm not going to remember the name of your character, but you're a superhero on The Flash and Arrow and Guardians of the... Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. See, I don't have my superheroes <laughs> down. Sorry, it's um, okay. It's all good. I've been tearing it up on TikTok, doing duets. <laughs> um, sing, she sings her ass off. Um, I also had the pleasure of seeing her in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and she's just a multi-hyphenate incredibly talented woman who um, has been kind enough to co-host these talks um, in support of my film Red Pill, which is all about what's going on in America. And, um, you know, you got to laugh no matter what's going on in life. So this is a horror film and we got to laugh. And who was it that said that history repeats itself first as a tragedy and then as a farce? I think we got all of that going on right now. So um Yes, Sierra, what are we talking about this week? Well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the diversity of uh, characters in your story. So uh, essentially, actually give everybody the log line and then we'll, we'll, we'll bounce off from there. Um, log line of Red Pill is that it's the weekend of the 2020 election and a group of progressives ride into red country armed with heart, humor, and naivete. They should have brought heavy artillery. Ooh, man, what's going to happen? Um, <laughs> what's going to happen when the Proud Boys hit the polls to do their poll watching on November wow. 3rd? Yes, that is a big yeah. question. And honestly, it's not really a new question here in America. We've seen this many, 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 many times. Um, but uh, so the characters in your piece, I think what I'm really interested in, and I can't wait to see, you said that you like to make, uh, tell stories uh, that represent the world that you actually live in, right? It's not just you know, a bunch of white people or a bunch of black people or a bunch of whatever. You like try to bring in uh, different ethnicities, um, uh, different socioeconomic, all sorts of things. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of the variation and the characters and the diversity that you have in this piece? Well, you know, 
I just, I know that I'm a kind of person that I like all kinds of people. And often when I get my own friends together, they wonder how I'm friends with each of them because everybody imagines me to be a certain kind of person because I'm their friend. And when they see the other kinds of people that I hang out with, it's like, huh, well, where, how did you guys meet? <laughs> um, so Ruben Blades, um, international recording artist, he's um, covering the Latino indigenous community and representing that perspective in um this story about the fight for um, freedom and equality and democracy. Um, uh, Luba Mason, who is uh, Ruben's wife in real life, she is representing the immigrant population in America. Um, Jake O'Flaherty, good Irishman, is representing the Jewish population and the white male patriarchal population in America. Adeshalo Sakalumi, choreographer, actor from Fela. He is representing the Afro-Caribbean British population. Um, my character is, of course, the African-American woman. And then Catherine Irby from Law and Order Criminal Intent is representing the white American version. And then we have a lot of other uh Catherine Curtin is in it and Colby Minifee, but, um, you know, issues of, you know, what side of the wall are you from, um, Muslim perspectives, transgender perspectives are brought up. And I found in telling this story, depending on who's um, viewing the cut of the film, what people think is unimportant is so centered around um, you know, people's thoughts revolve primarily around themselves. So I find that when people give me notes on the cut, it usually tells me more about them than it tells me about the movie that I've written. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we talked a lot about that, like the audience, you know. So did you write this piece with a specific audience in mind, people that you were trying to reach? Um, and has that shifted? I really wrote it so people could have fun. I like to be scared and I like to laugh. So how could I talk about the political world we live in right now and have it be funny and scary and just a really fun ride? And then, you know, you always want anything you make to be something that people will go back to and, and watch more than once so that the first time through, you could just have a really fun ride. But then if you watched it the next time, you'd be like, oh, I, I mean, oh, I didn't know that there was that level and that level. I mean, there's a lot of political history in it. There's a lot of metaphor symbolism about cults, about some of the founding things of America. Um, but you don't have to get that on the first time, but it's all there. So uh, obviously my first audience is the Black woman. I've never seen this particular black woman perspective in in a film and i play a character named cassandra and in mythology cassandra is the character uh, is the woman who was doomed to tell the truth and never be believed and so that is what happens in red pill cassandra is clear that they are in danger and they need to get out this is the black woman <laughs> and nobody believes her and it didn't work out too well for them or for all of us as well. <laughs> I, I always thought that was one of the funniest parts of like scary movies. It's like the trope that like the black person dies first. And you're like, but I feel yes. like they're the ones that are like, actually, we should go. Like, I'm a go now, actually. <laughs> I was always confused by that. 
Did you guys see Halloween, the last one with um, the new one that was last year, John Telly? Did you guys yes. see that Halloween? Yes. The best part for me was the little black boy who was like, there's something in my room. And the babysitter's like, let me look. And he's like, no, send him. I'm going to get help. <laughs> <laughs> that. That, that was the best part of it all. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to dive in with uh, John and Telly. I'm really interested to start kind of talking about um, just being different, other feeling othered in this, um, in our society, especially in a time such as this, when we have an administration that seems to sort of base everything that they do on making everyone feel other or divided from someone else. So um, I know we had uh, spoken about in our call earlier just about immigration and how that factors in to who you are and your identity and your family and community and what that mean what it kind of means to be an American for you. So, um, John, can you kind of take it away? Yeah, uh, you know it's interesting when I think about the feeling of being other. The first thought that comes to my mind is. Um, it's not, I can't tangibly give you examples because for fortunate, and this is weird to say, fortunately, I'm white passing. So because I'm white passing, I don't suffer the, conse- the, the, the consequences and repercussions that um, others would not. And yet the lifestyle with which I lived has not felt as one of white passing because it's from a socioeconomic uh, economic background. Um, it's from... Uh, the issues that I feel as if I've inherited inferiority. I feel as if the anxieties and the traumas that my parents have lived and come through, because uh, very much immigrated, uh, permeate through their existence and their lifestyles and their way of being. Very isolated existence in the country since none of my family's here. They're all in uh, in Colombia. There's an occasional person here and there, but even then we're so independent because of how we came up. I mean, mm-hmm. my mom had 13 or 15 brothers and sisters. My dad had 22 um, I, Whoa. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and so I grew up here very isolated and the Colombian community is, is scarce. It's, I mean, if I would grow up in a Miami, maybe be a little different, but I'm not. Uh, so, uh, I feel othered in, in this situation that there felt very alone, very isolated, no one to relate to. So, uh, immediately I related to the more impoverished background to sort of a socioeconomic class, um, and in that, not being Colombian enough and still not being American enough, especially what's delivered to you by the identification of America. So whatever we grab, which is commercialism, very high, high commercialism, uh, does not this does not uh, permeate or display me. Uh, I sometimes joke around and wonder what would life be like if Selena never got murdered, if Selena yeah. kept living, uh, would would Mexican identity be completely different in the United States of America? Would, would music sound more like cumbia? Would things be too completely different because they would have commercialized it? That being mm. said, um, I also feel othered in a way that the representation of Latino, Latinx to America is not me. And so I'm othered simply for not being representative of how they identify me in my career. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also just in life, I'll walk around and someone will not believe that I'm of Latino origin. So it's, and yet I'm the one that speaks Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> so no, so no, that's no. The, the funniest part about it is I'm the one that actually fluent. Yeah. 
I feel I, yeah. I feel you so hard on that. And just like just the idea of representation is so important. And I think like shifts in our um, industry have been they're being made. Right. But they're also the decisions about how the shifts are made are being made by the same people who have the problem in the first place. And so it's like really interesting because I have absolutely zero Latin uh, in me at all. Mm -hmm. And yet Every time I walk down the street, I have more people speaking Spanish to me than not. Uh, people are confused when I tell them that I have no Latin like heritage whatsoever. And it's also become right. And it's also become this thing in in you know the entertainment industry. It's like, so I am seen a certain way by the people at the top, right? Generally white males. I am seen as Latin, and I've actually played Latin roles before. I do not get seen as a black woman. <laughs> so when I go in for yeah. black woman roles, they're like, uh, no. And then I can't go in for Latin anymore because it, literally I did my DNA test and I have none of it in. So I, and it's like, I don't want to lie, you know, but we've gotten to this place where we're right. overcorrecting a little bit. And also everything's sort of based on the factual accuracy of whether or not you're Latin. And I'm like, I feel that. Cause I want, like, I, there have definitely been times where they're like, this character, it's so important that she like understand that being from Colombia or being from wherever. And I'm like, right. Right, right. Okay, like I, I think I could absolutely act that, but there's someone out there I bet who fits mm -hmm. that and is super talented and could take that role, right? So it's kind of like the balance of like, but also I want a job. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I agree. So like, no, I mean, and and even comes back to like sensitivity. Like for example, I've played Mexican. I've played I played everything but Colombian. <clears throat> I played Polish. I played Italian. I played Mexican. I played Puerto Rican. I played them all. But I say I'm ready to play them, and yet at the same time I'm conscious of you know, we're being very sensitive to the, uh, I think the entertainment industry is attempting to be more uh, aware of and sensitive and in doing so isolating no, people who it's could actually play. More aware of or sensitive. <laughs> it's trying to be politically well, correct. My point is like right. bigger errors. In yes. Being right. Politically right. Correct. So like, even now, like if I were to go, it's also a, a, a depiction of how they see someone. I don't see myself as uh you know, I'm not menudo by any chance. I don't come off like like I'm not Enrique Iglesias or 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 you know what I'm saying like Ricky Martin. I've come off like I've lived life a little bit. And so you it depends move, on the project. Though. But my point is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what I, what I've noticed is it's how they want to present people. So even right. when I go in for Puerto Rican and Dominican, and when you see how they cast it, you go, oh wow, like they're really identifying how they want Latino to look. Or, or whatnot. They can't really open their, the grasp their minds, which is fine. That being said, you create your own work. That's what we do. And also hey. things come and go and you do what you got to do. And that's and what I'm Tanya's not, I'm doing. not too worried about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The yeah. West Side Story this year was so beautiful to me because everybody on that stage was, you know, different shades of brown and black and beige. Right. And they came from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it was not a white-black story anymore. It was like a an American versus immigrant story. But everybody mm. looked exactly the same. It sort of reminded me of the battle between Israelis and Arabs. Did they look alike? You're the same people. Yeah. You have the same DNA and you're hating each other. <laughs> mm. I'm here in North Korea right now. And there's racism here, even between the Asian people. And it's like, you know, how do we have such lo- so much more love for our hate than for our humanity? Ooh, so well, much more th- love for our there's hate. There's two things. I have two things I want to say before I, I lose it. N- number yeah. one, I feel like um, uh, how can, uh, as an American, what we do see is that, you know, as you say, the people in power want to create products. And when they create products, one thing I've recognized and I feel for those who have immigrated, especially, um, uh, that's why I'm a big fanatic and supporter of John Leguizamo, because he makes it very clear uh, that, you know, the indigenous and the sort of Latinx makeup, um, we're not existent in the culture that they're telling the stories about. So what I mean by that is, say they come out with some uh, musical about a famous artist, and there is none for for the Latinx. There's no shows for, there's no one they're gonna tell a story about that America can identify to. Salinas coming out on Netflix, that's about it. La Mm. Bamba, you might've seen the movie, there's nothing, they, what I'm saying is it's not even in the makeup. So I, Latinx don't even know who to identify with if not displayed by whatever the American pop culture is displaying, which is generally a, a, a caricature or a, star, a stereotype. So it's, there, I'm remiss to, to, if I'd be remiss to not say that because what, one would say, okay, we're pointing out all the things and yet we're not being aware of all the minor things that hit us every day. It's an everyday thing that you go, oh, wow, we're literally not in the makeup. I don't even see myself. But if you're not in the makeup. people are responding to me. The Asians mm-hmm. are even less in the makeup. And that, My let's point. pop it over to Telly. Let's pop it over to Telly. Um, you know, how how do you feel like, you know, your experience has been different in, in being American? You know, like what is what is being American to you? Sure. So I, I grew up in New York City. I have immigrant parents. My mom and dad, uh, they actually grew up in Guangzhou, China, which is in communist China during the 60s, during Mao. And they actually escaped communism by swimming to Hong Kong, which mm. was seven hours, which is seven hours by the water. It's And they tell the story to me like it's like, you know, that's like, well, that's what everybody did, you know, because you, if you stayed in China where you weren't, you didn't have an education, there was no opportunity. So everybody just took the risk. They jumped in the water and they tried to escape. Mm. So my, both my parents made the swim. They got to Hong Kong, which at the time did not belong to China. It was a British Commonwealth at the time. So they were political refugees and they met in China. They dated and they knew that they wanted to come to America. They came to New York City because this is where the work was in the 70s for them. My dad worked in Chinese restaurants. My mom was a seamstress, so blue collar parents. And I grew up in Brooklyn. That's, so that was sort of my upbringing. And it's interesting, you know, when, when you talk about being othered from a very young age, you know, I think every person of color who grew up in America or is a child of an immigrant has this conversation with their parents, but they pull you aside and they go, 
So you live in America. And I know that in school, when you say the Pledge of Allegiance and you learn about what it is to be an American, it says liberty and justice for all. But you don't look like, you don't look American. Mm. And we are not from here. So even though you're born here and you are American and this is your country, you look a certain way and people will judge you by the skin color that is on you. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in Brooklyn and you're the most New York kid ever. That's not what they, that's not what they know. They're going to judge you by your skin. Just mm. so you know, you, you, are, you have to know that going through life. That might mean you have to work harder. That might mean you have to not always speak up all the time. That might mean, and this, this is a conversation, this might mean that, you know, um, you, that things are not always fair to you. And that, you know, so as a little kid, I had this conversation with my parents, right? So, and so growing up, I, I, that was so, that's sort of like in my DNA now. I think that's in the DNA of a lot of Asian kids who grew up in America. And I don't think we're, honestly, I don't think we are seen so much because so much of you know the Asian history in America from us coming here, building railroads, Chinese Exclusion Act, Japanese internment, all of that has been about how do we not stay active and political? How do we just make sure that we can you know, make enough money to keep our business, feed our kids, raise our families, not make waves, not cause trouble? That's sort of been, and now it's, it's I'm, I'm happy to say, I think that's turning. I'm happy to say that that's, I think that's also turning with this election. But not my generation, me, I just turned 40 this year. My generation still has that. That's still in my DNA to think that way sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, that, and, and so, and when I tell my Caucasian friends that they go, oh, my parents never had that conversation with me. And I was like, right. So that's what it means to be other because you never, your parents never had to have that conversation with you. My parents had to have it since I was a little kid, it's the same conversation that my black right. friends have when they go, okay, when you get pulled over, this is how you act, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. this, it's that same conversation. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, but, but it's, but I, to me, when people ask me, how does that feel to be other? That's sort of the way I can describe it in a way where my Caucasian brothers and sisters can understand it. Sure, like, sure. Oh, you know that, oh, right. That, that conversation was never had with me. And I said, well, that, that's, I think that's what it means to be othered. Same thing, mm -hmm. same thing oh. being a, a, a gay person too. You know, being mm -hmm. gay is the, it's the same, you know, that I, I, I don't have to think about, you know, you don't have to, my, my straight friends don't have to think about holding hands in public. I do, depending on where I am. Yeah, I do have sure, to think about sure. that. That right. extra step is the other. Right, right. The, the extra step that you have to take to think about what's going to keep me safe every time I walk out. And there's lots of extra steps. You know, Kimberly Crenshaw, in talking about intersectionality, says that mm -hmm. human nor normal in Western capitalism is white, hetero, Christian. And every step away from white, hetero, Christian is another intersection in which you can be discriminated against. So you go, you're gay, that's one. But then if you're gay and you're Jewish, that's two levels of discrimination. And then you're gay and you're Jewish and you're a non-white. Now you got another. And so the layers and layers and ways in which people get othered and the layers of ways in which you don't get the same access or uh, rights or you have to think about all these extra things to just make it through the day are mm -hmm. compounded by this idea of some kind of human normal 
that doesn't match the majority of people on the planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that idea of dual consciousness, right? Or just triple, quadruple consciousness, right? All the different and, layers that you have to be aware of all the time, right? Did you and I have you? to say, you know, I, 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 now that we're having these conversations, which I think it's great in 2020 that we're having these conversations, I tell my, you know, my white friends when I have these conversations, it's not like it's a bad thing. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not bad to be white. Like I know sometimes you might feel that there is all of the, there's, there's this conversation might make you feel bad or might make you feel uncomfortable. I just said, it's just, it's just that that is the way the world has been built. And in a way I was taught. Stop you. I'm stopping you right there, Kelly, because you're trying to help some people feel better who've made a lot of people feel bad for a really, really long time. Are you married to someone white? I am married to someone white. So what's that like uh, right now in this moment? Of- we, we have a lot, we have a lot of these conversations, you know, like I, I remember actually a theatrical experience. We went to go see Slave Play together on Broadway and we had very, we walked away with very different reactions to that play. And it caused a lot of continued conversation mm-hmm. between us, even before the pandemic, before George Floyd, that play sitting in that play together, you know, and whenever we see theater together, we hold hands, right? Like we hold hands and, and all of a sudden in the middle of that play, I felt this happen. We stopped holding hands <laughs> and we, we, had very, we had very different, we did. We just had very different reactions yeah, to it. Yeah. I, I heard a different story than he heard and it began this conversation. It, it's helped me in a way have this conversation with, with my Caucasian friends and my husband who is Caucasian and people that I love who are Caucasian in a way that helps them understand it without feeling attacked. And I do feel that that is important. What is this conversation? You keep talking about this conversation. What is the conversation you had to have? That, that, um, my experience as an othered person is something you're, you have never had to live with or understand. And that is not a ba- good thing or a bad thing. It's just a different experience. It's so just who did a different, you identify with in slave play? Pardon? Who did you identify with in slave play? I mean, I, it's interesting. I, I think I I think I think identified with, uh, as an actor, I feel like I sort of like identify with all of them, right? Like in a way, I, I, it's, it's a way, in a way I try to find empathy and compassion with all characters. When I watch a play, I don't really pick a side. And I think that's my training as an actor. We don't pick sides. We don't judge our characters when we play them, right? So like you you receive it and you hear it, you know? But like, I just know that I, you know, his level, his level of discomfort watching that play was very high. My mm-hmm. level of recognition of that experience was, oh, I felt like, oh, they're, they're saying this thing that has been so hard for me to say, mm-hmm. right? And like, they're saying it in a play and there was like a, my, like my reaction to it was this. Oh. And I think his reaction was like, oh, mm. <laughs> like, I didn't know, I didn't know, you know. So, right. But I think, I, I think, I think what's interesting about, you know, what you were saying uh, just about the, the discomfort opened up the possibility for a conversation in a new way, right? It's finding the balance, I guess. I don't know who it falls to to find that balance, right? But, you know, any person 
can get defensive. Any person when they feel attacked, which certain people feel attacked at different times, depending on what the thing is, right? It's a sliding scale for everybody. But when any anybody feels attacked, they want to survive. They want to put up their walls. They want to get defensive. They don't hear things. It's all about the perception then, you know, that's, and that's a practice thing that we all do um, to varying degrees. It's like, how do we, and, and this year I think has been a really interesting, um, you know, intersection of like people getting, uncomfortable and learning from it, people getting uncomfortable and shutting down, you know, like we're seeing all of the different reactions to it, but the discomfort I feel like is maybe the best thing that has happened over the last couple of years. And especially in this year, because getting outside of our, our comfort zone and our normal, then we, we are, we are forced to confront things. We are forced to start having awkward conversations. We are forced to, you know, to, to start having these kinds of things. So as much as like, you know, we, we don't want our friends to feel like they're being attacked or whatever, right? We also recognize that, the, or I do at least, that the discomfort also has to exist. Otherwise, we're just going to keep going as static, status quo, right? Well, I'm going to say, you know, I want my friends to feel attacked. I want them to feel comfortable. <laughs> I want them to move into the disease. I want them to feel like, you know, there was at a certain point I wrote something to someone and they were like, wow, that really hurt. It was like, you know, it hurt. And I was like, uh-huh. And it, it, you, I could feel them wanting me to make it better for them. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I feel every day. Well, it's awful. Mm. You shouldn't have to feel that way. And I'm like, but I do feel that way. And I don't feel like I shouldn't have to feel that way because not only do I hurt, lots of other people hurt. I don't have, it's hurt comes to everybody. That one group of people have set up the world so that they get to avoid most of the hurt by putting it on other people. Yes, you should Mm. bear some hurt. Hurt is part of life. Life is good, it's bad, and you should bear some of it too. So I don't feel bad that I'm the gift of bringing it to you. I feel like I am a gift to you because as you expand your capacity to have these big sensations, then you will expand your humanity. And as long as you stay in an avoidance of this feeling, what you call bad, you are allowed to deny humanity. You're allowed to mm. deny the mm. existence of other people's experience. And you're allowed to continue to perpetrate these delusions and this uh, frauds that are destroying the entire planet. Right, right. And this actually is, I think, a great stepping off point for us to talk about cancel culture. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins. You're listening to Spotlight, the Red Pilling of America on the Marissa Lynn Daniels Studio. My conversation with actors John Rua and Telly Leong. Come back for part two of You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together 
we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.